Good morning, church family. Hey, listen, you can be seated for just a moment. Uh, we just sang about, I'm going to see a victory. Well, well, here is a victory this morning, and we're going to celebrate uh, that victory as we worship together this morning. This is Miss Ella Reeves. She is the, the daughter of Eric and Kristen Reeves, and uh, yeah, Ella is eight years old. She's the third of four daughters, and the most outgoing one, uh, and if you got to know Ella, you'd know that. Uh, she's just full of life. Can't help but see her without a smile, with a smile. I mean, she's always got one. And um, uh, Ella accepted Christ last spring, um, one evening as they returned home from, uh, the family returned home from their life group in Matthews. Um, in her words, she says this, I'm excited to be baptized, and I hope it will show other people how awesome it is to know Jesus. Having the Holy Spirit in me is so exciting. Ella, have you trusted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Well, because of your public profession of faith and in obedience to Christ's command, it gives me great joy to baptize you as my sister in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You're buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for salvation, and we thank you for bringing it to Ella um, and saving her, and we thank you for the testimony of that this morning as we celebrated that. Lord, I pray that your presence would be here today, that you would work amongst us, that you would work in our hearts and souls, Lord. We, as people, need you. We, as your people, we need you. And we, as your church, we need you. And so we pray that your presence would be here. But above all things, Lord, we pray that what happens in this place and what happens in this moment today would bring honor and glory to you. There is no one like you. There is no one worthy of what you're worthy. And so we worship you today. Turn our minds and our hearts and our ears to you and to your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would do what only you could do in us and through us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
good morning. Good to see you this morning. Those of you that are here, thank you for being here today. It's so good to be gathered back together and uh, worship with you. Um, those of you that are joining us online, we're so glad that you've tuned in this morning and, uh, and we're worshiping with you and we are so grateful that you're with us this morning and you are with us uh, this morning. Those of you that are new here, whether you're new here today presently or whether you're just tuning in with us for the first time, we would love to get to know you. And on the screen um, here this morning is a number and if you'll text the word connect to that number, uh, we would, we, we, just a little quick form that you fill out, tell us who you are, and uh, this week we'll mail you a gift. We have a gift just for you for tuning in or being here, and we would love to get that gift uh, to you um, this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, turn them to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to be um, this morning. And about 13 years ago, uh, around this time of year, I was um, on a trip uh, to Malawi, Africa. I spent a lot of time there and was there this, uh, that particular summer and kind of doing the same thing that we normally do on trips there. We're sharing the gospel with people. We're going to remote villages that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, so this day in particular, we were out and we were pretty far away from the bus. It was getting late in the day. And, you know, when you go to a place like that and you're so eager to tell people um, about Jesus, you, there's always, you, you know, when you get done sharing, you see another village or another um, set of huts and stuff like that further down. You just have this desire, like, I got to get there. I got to share with those people. And so we looked at our watches, my interpreter, Godfrey, and I looked at our watches, and, and we didn't have a lot of time. But I said, Godfrey, we'll just make it quick. We, we got to go there. This, this is our last day in this area. Let's, let's go to this village. We've got to get there. And he said, oh, okay. And so we, we took off, and, and I was in a hurry. I knew that we had, time was short, so I was kind of trotting, jogging towards that. Godfrey was tired because, you know, he was doing all the talking that I was doing too, and he was doing a whole lot more talking. So he was exhausted from the day. And uh, we approached the village, and I looked, and Godfrey was pretty far behind me. So I just went ahead and went on the village. And, of course, they're excited to see us there and, you know, bring a welcome mat out and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and I'm gathering with all these people um, there, it's, it's a number of women, it's one man, and it's a bunch of children. And as Godfrey approaches, I can tell on his face that he's very, very nervous. He, he, is, he is not happy about what I've done. And I'm like, well, we've been doing this all day. This is, this is the way we do it. And so I don't really understand. So I, I get up and I go to Godfrey and I said, Godfrey, what, what's the matter? And he goes, we should not be here. I said, well, well why not? Because we are not welcome here. And I said, well, it seems like I'm welcome here. They let me in. They invited me in. They set me down, and they're all smiling really big. And he said, well, our message that we're going to share is going to greatly offend these people. And I said, well, it hasn't offended anyone else all day. Why would it offend these people? Because this gentleman is the witch doctor of the entire area. And he has many witch doctors that work for him. And, and he will be very upset when we share our message. And so... We, we need to go. And by that time, um, the gentleman there, the witch doctor, understood there was something going on, something a little bit confusing. So he began to talk to Godfrey in their language. And, and basically, he, he was demanding that we tell them why we're here and what we're here to do. And Godfrey says that he wants, to, he wants you to share why you're here. And I said, well, that's why we came. Let's, let's do this. And so, um, you know, we prayed real quickly. And then Godfrey and I began to share the gospel with this gentleman and um, talk about it 
talk about sin, talk about Jesus, talk about what he does for a person and all this. And we had this conversation that was certainly getting late into the day and we were going to end up being late, um, which made Godfrey very nervous because he would probably get, he would think we would get in trouble for that. And, and so we, we got to the point in place and time where I said to the gentleman, um, sir, um, you have a decision to make. And the decision, and we put it this way, is to, will you, are you willing to turn away from being a witch doctor and trust in Jesus Christ? And it was just quiet. And I could tell Godfrey was nervous and we weren't really sure what was gonna take place next. He was silent for some time and all of the women were looking um, at him. And what we came to find out is all of these women, there were about 13 of them, they were all his wives. And so he had multiple wives and all the children were his children. And so this is, a, this is a major moment for this gentleman. And he, he looked up with tears in his eyes and said, yes, I would like to accept Christ as my Savior and, and turn away from my sin. And so he prayed to receive Christ. And I mean, immediately when he said amen, there was, there was rejoicing. Um, all of his wives had prayed as well. And then, of course, at that moment, there are a lot of issues that you've got to work through um, on that because culturally speaking, you know, I, I've never led anyone to the Lord um, in America that has multiple wives. H how do you deal with that? How do you navigate that? What do you tell that person? You know, which one does he pick? And all, I mean, how does it go through that? And that's the moment where there's going to be a church in this village and there's going to be a pastor and they're going to walk through that moment with you. And um, I mean, they were just rejoicing and celebrating and they came to me and they placed um, the chief, the, 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 um, the, the witch doctor, formerly now witch doctor, had had this brand new baby, which was one of his children, and placed him in my arms. They wanted me to hold the baby. And so I'm holding the baby, and it was just this precious little, probably seven, eight-day-old baby. Um, it peed all over me um, while we are there. And it, it just a, a really neat moment. And, and um, I asked, what's the baby's name? And they said, well, he doesn't have a name. Oh. And they said, what's your name? I said, my name is Robert. And they said, well, the baby's name will be Robert. I mean, I'm tears in my eyes. I mean, no one's ever named anyone after me. And, and even to this day, no one's ever named anyone after me. I mean, I was, I was so elated and excited. How cool is this? And, and I looked over at Godfrey and I was like, could you believe this? And Godfrey had this blank, terrifying, scare face on. I said, what's wrong? And he goes, we need to go now. Give the baby back. I said, okay. So I, I gave the baby back and Godfrey grabbed me by the shirt and we began to run out. And I said, God, what, what is the matter? He said, Pastor, when, when someone names a child after you, you are responsible to care for that child for the rest of their lives. Now, I mean, I'm a brand new, newlywed. I've been married for like maybe two weeks, I think, at that point in time. And I don't know that my wife was ready for that right then and there and so forth. And so, so we got on. But, but it reminded me, it's just this bizarre story, very terrifying moment. But it reminded me of this fact that we're going to look at this morning is that sometimes in the most difficult places, God does the most amazing things. In the most difficult circumstances, God does amazing things. Acts chapter 16, the attention is turned to the Apostle Paul. And the story thus far has not really included him a whole lot, but Paul is beginning to grow and his ministry is beginning to expand. And chapter 16 of Acts 
is, is an incredible chapter because we really see this Paul and begin to develop a team of ministry partners. Um, Silas, and he joins up with Timothy, and it tells us that, that God is blessing that work, that the churches are being encouraged, and the churches are being built, and many people are coming to faith in Christ. I mean, Paul is experiencing some, some awesome things that God is using. In fact, verse 5 of chapter 16, it says they, they increased in numbers daily. The churches were strengthened. And then in chapter 16, a momentous moment for Paul where he's got this Macedonian call. The Holy Spirit urges him and, and, and pushes him to, you're going to go and travel to Macedonia and you're going to spend time. And we know uh, from, from the rest of the New Testament that Macedonia, I mean, an incredible church was built there in Macedonia. And then we see in verse 11, the conversion of this really influential woman by the name of Lydia. And uh, it was a big moment for her as she paid attention and she gave her life to Christ. But then in verse 16, things begin to take a little bit of a turn for Paul. Everything had been going great. God was using, God was calling and directing Paul to how he wanted to be used. Everything was going wonderful for the Apostle Paul until he, he hits this area, this, this, uh, this area of Philippi. And as they're going about, it tells us that there is a, a young woman that begins to attach themselves to Paul, herself to Paul. And it tells us this young woman is a slave. And that she is basically possessed by a demon that gave her the ability to fortune tell. And her slave owners, her owners, used her to profit. So they basically used this woman and would, would have her tell people's fortunes and the money would be paid to them. Really, really unjust and awful situation. And this woman begins to call out to Paul and Silas and follow them around and say, hey, listen, these are Jesus' people. They, they're servants of the Most High God. They proclaim to you the way of salvation. So she kind of became this, for lack of a better word, this crazy woman began to follow Paul around and, and they would go to a village or they would go to an area and she would begin to announce, hey, Paul and Silas are here and they're gonna tell you about salvation. And, you know, it just wasn't exactly the kind of introduction Paul wanted to give. And it tells us here that after a few days, Paul was greatly annoyed. And one of the things I love about Paul is just the, the way that the New Testament tells us his personality. Uh, he, he was basically, oh, here we go again. Here this woman goes again and is giving us an embarrassing fanfare, raising the kind of attention that we may not want. And it tells us in the spirit that he is, he's led to do this he says in verse 18, I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And at that moment, this woman was healed. The demon left her. We, we would assume that in that transaction and what took place in that moment, likely she gave her life to Christ. But, but this woman who was possessed by this demon and enslaved to this demon, as well as being enslaved to these slave owners, is delivered in that moment. You think that's awesome. But in verse 19, it created a lot of issues. And it tells us that the owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, and they seized Paul and Silas and dragged him into the marketplace before the rulers. Just something you and I need to understand that Paul began to understand. He'd already seen it in his ministry, but here in this moment he sees it in probably one of the most intense ways he's ever seen it. That when you are serving Christ and when you're doing his work, incredible things are going to be done because the power of the gospel changes lives and God works through it and the Holy Spirit's incredibly powerful force, but the world is against it. 
and darkness is against it. And there is pushback. And so here Paul and Silas going about their business, following God's will, following God's call, and unfairly and unjustly they are, they are captured. And it goes on to tell us they are brought before the crowd. The crowd is spurred up. They're saying these guys are causing problems. They're disrupting business. I mean, think about this. Because that's ultimately the work of the gospel. If revival hit our community, how different would our community be? How much change would happen? How many businesses would all of a sudden not make a profit anymore? How many things would be flipped up? I, I tell you what, if, if revival hit our land, what we've experienced the past two weeks in our country and in our community would be a lot different. Because the power of the gospel changes things. And it was changing these men's business. They were angry about it. And as a result, they arrested Paul and Silas. And it tells us they took rods out and they beat them severely. And then they threw them in prison. And it tells us they threw them in the innermost part of the prison. And when they got in that prison, they treated them like high-profile criminals, very dangerous criminals. They threw them in the innermost part. They shackled them. They put chains on their arms and their feet to the wall. And they there were trapped. These men on top of the world serving God now trapped and stopped. Unfairly, unjustly, And they find themselves in a very, very dark place. A very difficult situation. In fact, Paul would write about this later to the church at Corinth. And he would talk about the trials and the beatings and the imprisonment that he faced for the sake of the gospel. This was a moment that marked Paul. And how he responds to it and what happens in this moment shows us that God does amazing things in some of the darkest moments of life. Amen. And so the story picks up, and we're really our focus will go this morning is here in verse 25. It tells us this about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I want you to put this in perspective. Paul and Silas have been treated unjustly. They have been beaten severely. This is a bad day. This is probably the worst day of their life. I imagine Silas is saying, I cannot believe I agreed to go with this man, Paul. How do you respond when everything's going really bad? When all of a sudden things unexpected happen, all of a sudden things that you didn't plan, all of a sudden unfair situations, difficult scenarios and situations, how do we normally respond? Can I be honest with you and tell you how I respond? I whine. I get a little aggravated. I get a little defensive. I get a little bit of, this is not fair. This is not right. I'm a Christian, so I pray, but I say, God, get me out of this. Why am I here? Deliver me from this moment. But what we see Paul and Silas doing is, is they're, they're praising in their pain. They understand that God is in control of the situation that they're in. And so there's a sense of praise and prayer in that moment, a worship service in the prison. In the midst of pain, they praise. Reminds me of something that is, is very real in our history in America, going back a long time ago. If you open your hymnal, which we don't have hymnals in the pews because that has germs all over it right now. But if you were to open your hymnal, you will find numerous hymns 
incredible hymns, beautiful hymns that were written by people who were unjustly and unfairly in slavery. Hymns that spread across cotton fields, across America, that were written as men and women were being treated in inhumane and unjust ways. Hymns like, Go Tell It on the Mountain, and Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, and There is a Balm in Gilead, and then Were You There? And then, of course, many of you know the history of this great hymn, Amazing Grace, that was written by a former slave owner when he found the grace of God. But that hymn became popular not in churches across England and America. It became popular and it spread through cotton fields across this world. As people praised God, even in their pain. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17, we hear Habakkuk say this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no more food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stall. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. How do you respond? When it's difficult, when it's unfair, when it's hard, when it's not what you signed up for, not what you asked for, how do you respond? Let your pain bring praise. I'm not really sure that we understand what worship really is if the only time that we really worship is when everything is fine and everything is good. It is very easy to sing of God's goodness and God's grace when we're experiencing that and feeling that every day. But it is an entirely different thing when we're experiencing pain to say God is good and I trust God and I believe in him and I will follow you and I will worship you and I will lift your name high even though I am walking through dark, dark moments in life. It's not just the width of our praise that matters, it's the depth. And the depth of worship comes in pain. And so they turned their praying into praise. And then we see something incredible happen, God do something with it. To take a man from suicide to salvation. In the midst of this praying, these other prisoners hearing, and then something remarkable happens. Some would say this is science, and some would say this is just the way the world works. There were certainly numerous earthquakes that took place in Philippi in that region. But there's no accident to this one, as we can see how, how specific it was. It tells us in verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now, if you're in a prison, and all of a sudden the walls shake down, and all of a sudden the shackles come off, what are you going to do? I tell you what a lot of people in prison are going to do. They're going to get out of there. 
In fact, there was a very similar circumstance in a believer's life. In Acts chapter 12, Peter experienced something similar. An angel of the Lord visited and the doors opened and he said, leave. And so here's a similar circumstance. Paul and Silas probably knew about that circumstance and say, he's done it again. He's, he's freeing his people. How exciting. But something strange really happens in verse 27. We see when the jailer woke and he saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Why? Because he assumed the same thing that we would assume. Prison walls fall and chains fall off. Prisoners run. He assumed the same thing. Such damage and as the smoke is going everywhere and the dust is going everywhere, his assumption is all these men are gone. And the problem with that is there was a law and there was something that he agreed to by being a jailer is that when a prisoner gets loose and gets away, the person who held that person captive must face the punishment of that prisoner. And so at the immediate moment, he knew I'm in big trouble. And there were all sorts of people in the prison. I mean, it wasn't just Paul and Silas who were unfairly put there. You certainly have thieves and you certainly have murderers and you certainly have many other people for many other reasons. And this man is going to have to pay, face their punishment. It's going to be painful. It's going to be difficult. And as he looks forward in his life, as he experiences this moment, he cannot see any way forward. He doesn't want to walk through that. He doesn't want the embarrassment and the shame of this whole situation. And so the only thought that he can capture himself on, the only thing he can think of is I've got to end my life. That will be easier than having to walk through what's ahead of me. This man is in the lowest moment of his life. He is in a moment that many people find themselves in. They cannot see how. They have no hope. They have no direction. They do not want to know where they're going to go. And the only thing their mind runs to is just end it. Just finish it. Be done with this pain. And in that moment, preparing, I mean, gun to the head, Sword to the stomach, about to fall on it. Paul and Silas, it tells us, hey, whoa, time out. Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And in that moment, something happened in him. And we see in verse 30 that he brought them out, and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? you to notice this, that at the darkest moment of this man's life, he meets Jesus. Amen. At the most broken and vulnerable place of his need, he meets Jesus. And friends, that is what Jesus does. And that is who Jesus is. Amen. He seeks lost people and broken people. He saves people with problems. And he loves people with issues. And in the most broken moment, that's where ministry happens. Now what a great picture of how God wants to use you. Paul and Silas at this man's most dark moment is there. Paul and Silas at this man's most painful, difficult moment 
is with him. That's how God wants to use you. And the people in your life, when, when their life comes crashing down, when they find themselves in pain, when they find themselves in difficulty, where are you? Where are people with the hope of Jesus? Where are people with the help of Jesus in that? And for that matter, that, that's the mode and ministry of the church is to be. That we're going after people. We're just looking for people who are at the moment of need, in the moment of brokenness, the moment of pain. That's where the gospel finds them most often. That's what Jesus is after. And that's what we as the church and we as his people, we got to get on board with. So over, I've told you over the past several months, couple of months, I've been doing a lot of projects at the house. Well, not long ago, Mrs. Welch said, that's enough. We don't need to be spending money on these projects we really don't need, okay? And so we're going to be out of COVID after a while, so that's enough. And I said, well, okay, can I, just, can I do a project if it doesn't cost us any money? Like if it's free, if we have everything, and can, it, can I still do a project? And she said, that's fine. So then I had to find the project. What can, I get, what can I do that doesn't cost me any money? And I decided, you know what? I could do a flower bed. Now, I'm not a flower person. I don't like flowers. I like trees, not flowers. And so this is kind of a new thing for me. And so I began thinking and planning. So what am I gonna, how am I gonna do this flower bed? And um, what am I gonna put on the border of the flower bed? That's where it begins. Let's build the border first and think of the border. Well, I can't go buy anything. And I, I just, I realized this. In our neighborhood, it's under development. And so kind of phase two of the neighborhood is they're developing and preparing the land for putting houses on. And apparently our neighborhood is built on this massive rock. And so all throughout this new development are these, these rocks. They've been blowing things up with dynamite. They've been, you know, just hacking at these walks, breaking them down. And all over our neighborhood are these rocks that have been broken down into hand-sized pieces. I mean, you, some of them are big, you can, but you can pick up a lot of them. And I'm like, that's it. That's my border. And so I, I gather the kids and said, guys, we, I got an activity for us today. We're going to go pick up these boulders. So we drove through the developing area of the neighborhood, put the tailgate of the truck down, and we began picking up these boulders and putting them in the back of the truck. They realized, Dad's crazy. And we set them up. We get them. I set them up and begin putting them all around this thing. And I, I believe this is going to end up being the most beautiful flower bed on the face of the earth. God takes broken things and makes beautiful things out of them. And I think he's looking for people who will partner with him in that, to take brokenness and make beautiful things with it. We see a man go from suicide to salvation. And through that, a family is changed. And so this man asks, what, what can I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas begin to explain to him what he needs to be done. And, and so he says, verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your whole household. By the way, that's it. That's all. Believe in Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. It's as simple as that. The clearest message of the gospel. Believe in Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And he says, this will have a profound effect, you and your household. And so we see verse 32, they begin to speak the word of the Lord and explain the gospel to them and all who were in his house. So apparently in that place, in that night, his family was there with him. And so here they are gathered around 
on this prison that's fallen to the ground, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're saved, the whole family is, and then they have a baptism service. And he said he took them out at the same hour, washed them, cleaned their wounds, and they were baptized at once, likely in the well of the prison, he and his family. And he brought them up to his house, and he set them before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. There's a couple things here. Number one, here we have, a cla- I believe this is the origin of the Baptist church, by the way. I mean, they're preaching the gospel, person saved, they baptize them, and then they eat. It doesn't get more Baptist than that message right there. You're not laughing at that, I don't guess. That was a bad joke, I suppose. Incredible thing happens here because the decision of this one man affects his family. The ministry that Paul and Silas had to this one man changes an entire family. I want you to understand something. When, when you reach someone in brokenness with the gospel, it doesn't just affect them. It touches others. This man's family is changed for eternity because he gave his life to Christ. Just think about that for a moment. When when you encourage someone, it doesn't just minister to that person. There's something that happens to others as well. When you help a person, when you find them in their need and walk with them through that, it affects other people. It doesn't just affect them. When you lead a person to Christ, it very well could be that because of that decision that person made, down the road more people are going to be led to Christ and it's going to touch other people. There is a magnetic, a domino effect of ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ that it touches other people. A family is changed. Sometimes the most amazing things that God does happen in the darkest moments. See, listen, it's not matter what happens to you. That's not the main thing. What is happening to you? What matters is what you are let God, letting God do through what's happening to you. So let him do what he wants wherever you are because sometimes it's the darkest rooms, the darkest moments that God does the brightest things. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for those either watching or in this room, that are in some dark moments. Moments that life has led them to, to find you. And I pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes to the place and point that they call and ask, what must I do to be saved? And Lord, would you speak to them right now? Would you press upon by the power of your Holy Spirit in their life? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we cannot communicate that message the way you can. So we pray and we ask that right now in lives, you would do that. You'd bring them to that place of brokenness. And in that place of brokenness, you would give them the gospel of Jesus, the hope of 
eternity. And Lord, help us to see that the moments of our life, the dark moments and dark chapters, the difficult times of our life are moments that you can do amazing things in. So let us not waste them. In our pain, help us to praise and to be used from those moments. Sometimes the miracles you do have nothing to do with our deliverance, Lord. They have to do with the deliverance of other people. Amen. So Lord, use us for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, maybe you're this morning in the place of that Philippian jailer. And exactly what Paul said, I think God is saying to you today, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You can do that right now where you're at, in the comfort and in the silence of wherever you are. God is listening and he's ready to come in and rescue you and save you if you'll call upon Jesus to be your savior. You can do that and pray that right now and ask him to save you or we would love to talk with you about that. Here on the screen is a number and if you'll text the word Jesus to that number someone from our ministry team will contact you immediately. Visit with you about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and nailing down that moment of salvation. We'd love to know. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to connect with you today. Hey, if you've been joining us for some time, I know a lot of our church family is doing this um, even in this season, but maybe you've linked up with this and maybe you haven't ha taken the opportunity to, to go deeper with us as a church. We'd love to give you the opportunity for that. If you're interested in membership, becoming a part of the family of First Baptist Charlotte, we would love to talk to you about what it means to be a member and, and receive your membership and let you be a part of our family. If you'll text the word connect to the number here on the screen or you can email our director of assimilation, Whitney Burrows, and we'll visit with you about that, talk with you about that and link you up as part of the family here at First Charlotte. It's been great worshiping with you today. Before we head to the virtual lobby with Noah and Lily to go over some things that are happening in the life of our church, we have a special announcement that we want you to listen in on uh, this morning. Hey, church family, as we close our morning out together, want to make a, 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 an important announcement to you. For the past three years, Caleb Sprinkle and his wife have served here at First Baptist Charlotte. Uh, Caleb has been in the position of director of mobilization, and just recently, God has made a shift in their family and placed a call upon their life to move them uh, to a new place of service, and we're excited about that. There's a sense of bitterness that we, we hate to lose Caleb and Alyssa because they've been such a valuable part of our church family. We love them dearly, but what God is doing in their hearts and where he's placing them, we are excited about, and we're excited to send them to this new chapter. Caleb, tell us a little bit about that chapter. Yeah, so my wife and I have been praying through this uh, for a while, just uh, what would it look like to, to join a church plant, and God opened up a door uh, here in Charlotte with Life Church and, and Ben Davey uh, to come alongside of them and join their team. Uh, I will be their discipleship pastor, so planning the uh, discipleship process and and just pathway of, of the church. So we're excited about the opportunity to Caleb gets to be a part of something new and fresh, uh, a work that's reaching lost people for Christ, and we're excited to send him uh, in that. Caleb, we're so grateful for the time you've spent with us, the many lives that have been transformed by the gospel um, that God's used your hand and your ministry for, as well as the many people that have been discipled uh, and the, just the many things you've done 
uh, for us. Now, church family, I want to tell you one thing about a church plan. As we as a church support that type of ministry and think it's really important, especially even in our city, uh, church planning is, is a hard task and a difficult uh, journey to make that requires a lot of sacrifice and a lot of commitment. So this is a big call and a big commitment on Caleb and Alyssa's part. And we want to invite you, uh, if you're interested in being a part of this journey with them in the, in, in the, in the level of a prayer partner and an encourager of them, but also in financial support. Much of their salary, uh, they'll be having to raise that upon their own. So that's a big step of faith. And if God lays it upon your heart to support them in that manner, uh, Caleb would love to know. And his email address is here on the screen. You can also call the church office for more information about that. But ask you to be praying about that if that's something the Lord leads you uh, to. Caleb, we love you. And as we close our services out today, church family, would you join me in praying for Caleb and Alyssa as we send them out uh, to, God's, to answer God's call upon their life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Caleb and Alyssa. Uh, we thank you for calling them here to First Charlotte, and we thank you for the ways that you've used them. What a privilege it's been to serve alongside them and also uh, to watch them grow uh, and to watch Caleb grow in ministry. And we praise you uh, for having a plan for his life and communicating that plan and the next steps of that plan for him. We pray that it would be a fruitful ministry, that just as much as he's blessed us here and just as much as he's been used, you'd also use him there. And even in greater ways would you use him. Lord, we pray for the lives uh, of lost people that are going to be touched, the, the new believers that are going to be discipled and grown. And uh, we pray that you would pay that, pave that path and you would bless Life Church through the ministry of Caleb and Alyssa Sprinkle. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.